working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last uh, week, Tom uh, had a great message. He, he jumped out of order. I was totally all good with that. He did one from uh, chapter 7, but I've just been working my way systematically through. We're still in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just taking Jesus' words passage by passage, section by section. And, uh, and so this week, this morning, we're at Matthew 5, 38 to 42, responding to evil and injustice. I'm going to read it to you, and then, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into this. Matthew 5, 38 to 42, Jesus says this. These are the words of our, of our Savior and our Master and the fountain of life, and he speaks to us today, and he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I preached a message three years ago, uh, actually a little two-part mini-series on turn the other cheek, and we just looked at that one verse there about turning the other cheek. And so a little bit of this, the first part of this message will be a little bit of review, but, uh, but I never got to the rest of this passage, and, and really when you look at this passage at face value, it's, this, this passage is so crazy that let's just be honest, most Christians completely ignore it. If someone sues you for your tunic, you give them your cloak as well, like anybody just brings any kind of lawsuit against you, they sue you for your house, you, you got to throw in the car, you got to throw in the pets, maybe you want to throw them in anyway, but I don't know, you got to throw in everything. I mean, anyone asks to borrow from you, you, you're not allowed to say no to them. I mean, I'm about to come calling this week to some of you. It just seems so crazy, we just ignore it. Oh, you, that Jesus, right? He's God, okay? He's life. We obey his words, it's life. And so we're going to look here today. What is Jesus getting at here? And what is kingdom living look like, all right? Let's pray and we'll get into this. Jesus, I love you. I don't love you enough, but I love you. And I want to love you more. And the more I know you, I love you more and more and more. And this church, as we get to know you, Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you for this camp, this miracle we're living this year. Thank you for the ministry you're doing to hundreds and hundreds of our kids this year. Thank you for what you're doing here in this church, Jesus. You're changing our lives slowly, by, bit by bit. Piece by piece, you're changing us. So many here, I'm just hearing testimonies every week. Thank you, Jesus, it's all you. This morning, we're gonna look at your words, Jesus, and we're so blessed, we're so lucky to get to be in church this morning, to fellowship with each other, to worship you, and to look at your words. And Jesus, I just pray that through this message, somehow, Holy Spirit, that we would be, come out of this more dependent on you and more in love with you than we came in. In your name we pray, amen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So we've been, we've been looking at, this is the formula, right? The last month we've been looking at this formula every week in these passages. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. He pulls a commandment out of the Old Testament and then he interprets it to us, right? Now this passage in particular has been misunderstood many, many times by Christians over the years. Um, because many Christians, and so this first part again, this first part of this message is going to be a little bit of review, um, but it's so important that we get this down, because if you, if you misunderstand what Jesus is doing here, if you misunderstand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's going to throw a whole lot of things off in the way you read the Bible, and in the way you understand God, and in the way you understand what God was doing in the Old and New Testaments, okay? Very, very important. But a lot of people over the, over the years have taken this passage right here, and teachers, well-meaning people who love Jesus, but no understanding of, of who God is and who he's been through the Old and into the New Testament. But a lot of people have looked at this and they go, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Um, the Old Testament is all about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and the New Testament is all about love and grace. And so many Christians have taught that what's happening here is the Old Testament and the New Testament are opposed to each other. Like, and a lot of people, well-meaning people, believe this, and it's totally wrong, and it throws a whole bunch of things off. But a lot of people see the Old Testament and the New Testament as being opposed to each other. So the Old Testament is about salvation by works, 
and the New Testament, thank God, is about salvation by faith. And the Old Testament is harsh, and it's about justice and holiness, and the New Testament is about forgiveness and love. And so the two are against each other. And in this passage, then, when you understand it that way, Jesus is canceling out the Old Testament. He's saying, you know, the Old Testament was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I'm getting rid of all of that, and now we have this new ethic of grace and love and do not resist the one who is evil, okay? So we have to do a little bit of foundational work here again because this is really important to how you're going to read this book and understand what God is doing in it, okay? The Old Testament and the New Testament are not opposed to each other. The Old Testament does not teach salvation by works, whereas the New Testament teaches salvation by faith. The Old Testament already taught salvation by faith. If you go to Hebrews 11, I'll show you this, what the New Testament authors say about the Old Testament, okay? If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, he, the author of Hebrews says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old speaking of the, the saints of the Old Testament, by faith, not by works. He says, by it, faith, the people of the Old Testament received their commendation. And now he goes through the rest of the chapter, and in Hebrews 11, he just gives example after example after example after example of how the Old Testament saints were saved by faith, just like the New Testament teaches. Okay? So we just look at a bunch of examples. We'll just fly here through this passage. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. That's one of the first stories in the Bible, right? Cain and Abel. It's by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel lived by faith. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. These are Old Testament saints. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not opposed to each other. It's not one is about work, salvation by works and one is about salvation by faith. One is about harshness, one is about love. Not that at all. Hebrews continues on there, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. Verse, verses 20, 21, 22, and 23, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses, and he goes on and on and on, and I didn't include them all, but with many examples of faith in the Old Testament. And then he finishes with this, verses 39 and 40. And all of these, speaking of the Old Testament saints, all of these, though commended through their faith, just like in the New Testament, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, okay? So the commandments in the Old Testament, it's not law versus grace, works versus faith. That is not the Old Testament and New Testament work hand in hand. They're both about salvation by faith, okay? And they're both about love. It's not the Old Testament is harsh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and the New Testament is love and forgiveness. Look at this, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Okay, this is the Old Testament. Most of you, uh, I bet if we asked for your favorite book of the Bible, many of you would have Leviticus right near the top, right? Okay? I mean, this is heart of the Old Testament. Look what Leviticus 19, 18 says. This is the Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, when Jesus came in the Gospels, that whole thing about love your neighbor as yourself, love God, love people, we all saw about Jesus was all about love. He wasn't making up a new commandment. He was quoting the Old Testament, which shouldn't surprise us since he's Jesus. He's the one who essentially wrote the Old Testament. Okay? That's the Old Testament teaches love for God, love people. That was the primary teaching and ethic of the Old Testament was love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll underline that first part of the passage there. You shall not take vengeance. People think the Old Testament is all eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The Old Testament repeatedly teaches you will not take revenge on people. Repeatedly. You shall not. There it is. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Okay, and I could show you many examples. I've t I could show you tons from the, from the life of David, from the Psalms, different places. Two more quick Old Testament passages. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Okay, Proverbs 24, 28 to 29. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. 
do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So the Old Testament teaches you're not allowed in personal relationships to take eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You're not allowed to take revenge. The Old Testament teaches salvation by faith. The Old Testament teaches love your neighbor and love God. The Old Testament teaches you're not allowed to take revenge. So now if we go back, okay, and we'll underline it there in the, uh, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, people take this as Jesus is canceling out the Old Testament because the Old Testament was all about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and the New Testament is all about love and forgiveness, and it's a new thing starting. That is not what's happening here. The, old, the New Testament is not opposite to the Old Testament. The New Testament does not cancel the Old Testament. Sure, things were a little different in the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't come yet. So when they put their faith in God, they didn't have the full revelation of God that we have now, so they couldn't put their faith in the name Jesus. But the revelation of God they did have, they could put their faith in that. And in the Old Testament, they still had to offer sacrifices as a temporary solution for their sin problems because Jesus hadn't come yet. But other than that, it was still salvation by faith and love your neighbor and all that stuff. Okay, so Jesus is not throwing out the Old Testament. You say, okay, well, you just said the Old Testament does not teach eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but here's Jesus quoting a passage in the Old Testament that says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yes, there's three passages in the Old Testament that teach eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, okay? And let's go and look at one of them right now, and let's see what, what it says, okay? Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay? So there's the famous eye for eye, tooth for tooth passage in the Old Testament. Okay? But I want you to notice something very, very important. Because you're saying, what, is there, is there a contradiction here? Because there's, you just showed us a whole bunch of passages where the Old Testament clearly says you're not allowed to get revenge. You are not allowed to bear a grudge. You're not allowed to get even. So what's all this about eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Context is everything. I'm going to underline a word here in this passage. And you'll notice there, who is, who is Moses, well, the Holy Spirit through Moses, talking to in this passage? He's talking to judges in a court system, okay? He says, and he shall pay as the judges determine. This passage is not written to you or me in our personal life. My neighbor just accidentally put Roundup on my lawn, so I'm going to take Roundup and put it on his lawn. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about so-and-so punched me in the face, and I'm going to punch him in the face. This is not for your personal everyday life. This is a, these are sentencing guidelines for a judge in a courtroom, okay? These are sentencing guidelines for a judge in a courtroom. So if a criminal gets brought before a judge, then this is the passage that guides the judge as to what kind of a penalty do you impose on this criminal. And to be honest with you, this is actually a very, when you put this in a court system, this is a very merciful commandment. I mean, if you look at some of the countries that were around ancient Israel and some of the penalties they had for crimes, they were, all, I mean, you even go around the world today. You go to some Muslim countries today, they have some very severe penalties. Let's say a person steals a piece of fruit. A hungry person steals a loaf of bread or something. In some Muslim countries, they'll, stealing is cut off your hand. Now, that's a very severe penalty to pay for stealing, right? Many of the countries around Israel had horrible penalties. You could die for all kinds of things. You could have parts of your body cut off and torture and all kinds of things for even minor crimes. This law, in the, with this law, God said to the Israelite judges, the penalty will always fit the crime. If you won't cut off a hand for stealing, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The penalty must match. So, you read through the Old Testament, if someone would steal sheep, they would pay back sheep. I mean, it just makes sense. You pay back the sheep you stole, plus you pay back a few more to teach you a lesson. But if you steal sheep, you don't get your hand cut off, you don't get your head cut off, you don't get sent to the torture chambers. You get eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You get proper justice. You also don't get too little justice, because that's also a problem sometimes in our world, right? Sometimes it seems like in some of our Western countries, people can do horrible things, and they get off almost scot-free. And this, these sentencing guidelines that God gave the Israelite judges in the Old Testament were meant to, to, to make it so that you don't have 
too harsh of justice or, or lack of justice, you have eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You have proper justice. You have penalties that fit the crime. Does that make sense? It's a merciful law. Now, the problem was that the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and not just the Jews, but in any civilization, not that the Jews are worse than everybody else, but, the, but Jesus is speaking to the Jews here, the Jewish people had taken this principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They had taken it out of the courtroom, and they figured this is a, this is a principle that applies to all of life. And they, had, were, and they were teaching and living as if it was godly to get retribution and to get even, that God wants you to make sure there's justice in your life that you get even. And Jesus comes into that and he says, like we've been seeing throughout this Sermon on the Mount, he says, you guys are totally missing the point of the Old Testament. You're, you're, you're reading the letter of the law, you're totally missing the purpose and the spirit behind it. It had nothing to do with retribution and getting even. That is a, that's a court law, that's not a for your personal life law. Okay? And so Jesus comes along, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So he's not throwing out the Old Testament here, okay? He's interpreting it for us because in our, in our sinfulness, we've totally missed it, or the Jewish people at that time had totally missed it. Now he goes on and he says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So this is the line that we looked at in depth, and if you want to, you can go online and you can hear that message if you weren't here for that, but that's three years ago. Uh, and turn the other cheek. But just, I want to quickly, you know, just review that a little bit here, and then we'll move on to the rest of the passage. Um, Jesus says, so now if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, a few things you need to know about this. First of all, this passage has nothing to do with self-defense. Okay, there's something really important here about understanding your Bible that we just have to stop here and get. Um, People sometimes, they want to, we want to interpret the Bible literally, right? And that's good. We always want to interpret the Bible literally to what it literally means to say. People will take turn the other cheek and they'll take it and they apply it literally in today's society when what we need to do is go back and see what was Jesus talking about and we need to take it literally what he was trying to say in his culture. Does that make sense? Because I've seen people take this to all kinds of weird extremes and use this passage to say things that Jesus is not trying to say. And well-meaning people who want to please Jesus. It's not that they're trying to be bad. They're trying to put into practice what Jesus is saying, but they're taking this here and misunderstanding. And so I've personally talked to people who take this passage to mean, where I've talked to people, and, and again, well-meaning people, good people in their hearts, they want to please Jesus, not understanding what this is about. They think this is talking about, you know, if anybody ever attacks you or your family, and I've talked to people where they've, where, uh, where they've said, literally, they believe that following Jesus means if a bunch of thugs would attack your family, you would stand by and you would just pray and hope it ends quickly, okay, that you wouldn't step in. And this is not at all. Jesus is not thinking about a self-defense scenario or a scenario where your family is being attacked. You know, I went online this week because I'd heard this story and I wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't just imagining things. I went up, I looked up a bunch of articles. I was amazed by how many stories over the last few years. You look at Britain, you look at the United States, you look at Canada in our big cities. I was amazed by how many stories over the last, uh, you know, five, six years there are that go like this. Broad daylight in one of our big cities homeless person or a prostitute or, uh, or an elderly person, often it's elderly people, homeless people, or just a woman or kids or whatever, get attacked in broad daylight and there's people walking by on the street and nobody steps in to stop the attack. This has not just happened once or twice. This has happened a whole bunch of times recently and it's just, it's, it's disturbing, but people will walk by in broad daylight while somebody is being attacked. Can I tell you something? is not what Jesus is talking about here. Is that loving to the person? Imagine it. So you walk by a homeless person and you think, well, gee, I wish those people weren't beating him up. And you kind of stand there and you pray. Well, it's good to pray, but you should pray and go in there, okay? Turn the other cheek. He's not thinking about helpless person being beaten and you just don't physically step in because Jesus is against all forms of physical violence. Not what this is about. Not about self-defense. This is about an insult, okay? In Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day, again, he's not thinking of thugs attacking someone. He's thinking of an insult, one of the worst insults, one of the worst ways you could humiliate a person was you would slap them with the back of your hand, usually with your right hand. 
And again, if you slap, and we looked at this in the message a couple of years ago, if you slap someone across the face with the back of your right hand, you will hit them on, on, the, on the right cheek. And Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other. Also, he's not talking about a self-defense situation. He's not talking about a helpless person being beaten. To not do anything there is to be not loving. He's talking about when you are humiliated and insulted, you don't respond back, humiliation with humiliation, insult for insult, evil for evil. Okay? There's another thing I want to make sure that we get clear here. This passage is not teaching Christians to be doormats. I have heard, again, this passage abused in awful ways. I don't think it happens as much now, but I've heard of in the past where pastors have counseled women who are in abusive situations, turn the other cheek means you stay in an abusive situation. Not what Jesus is talking about here. See, it, it, you don't take it literally what it literally means to us today. You take it what he was literally trying to say in his context. He does not have a picture in his mind here of an abused wife being slapped by her husband. He's thinking of an insult. In an abusive situation like that, it's not always just husbands to wives. I know of several situations where it even goes wives to husbands. It's, it's, it's just as wicked both ways. But if you're an abused spouse, turn the other cheek. And I've, I've heard of people who have been kept in bondage by misapplications of this passage. They keep themselves. The best thing you can do for yourself and for the abuser and for their relationship is to set a boundary and say, I will not live here in this situation. I'm going to move out until I see evidence of long-term repentance and you're getting help. Long-term, I see long-term signs that you're getting help and accountability and this, this, and this, and this is going to change and I'm going to remove myself from the situation until that happens. That's actually the best thing you can do. Turning the other cheek is not talking about that situation. You have to stay there, continue to be a doormat. By doing that, you're not loving the abuser either. You're just enabling that person to continue to sin. It's not talking about self-defense, not talking about being a doormat. What he's talking about in this passage is when people do evil to you, you never return evil for evil, insult for insult. That's what this passage is about. By the way, can I just say this? For those people who are still not quite convinced, you think when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he literally was trying to lay down a rule that if someone punches you in the face, you have to turn the other cheek and let them punch you again. Let me prove to you that he did not mean to literally lay down a rule like that. He himself did not follow it. John 18, Jesus is in front of the high priest just before his crucifixion. And I want to show you that turn the other cheek was not a literal thing. Someone punches you and you just have to ask for more. John 18, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him. Skip over a little bit of stuff there. It's not important to this, but why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by Jesus by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Now, if Jesus had literally meant in Matthew 5, turn the other cheek, what he should do now is just turn the other cheek silently and let them punch him again. And look what he said. But he doesn't do that. Jesus talks back to him. And he says, Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? He calls the guy on it. He says, why'd you hit me? It wasn't right that you hit me. He doesn't just, he wasn't setting down a rule. Matthew 5 is not a rule. Anytime you get hit, a madman like Adolf Hitler brings a huge army to wipe out a whole country of people. He, he's not thinking of that. Or someone attacks your family. He's talking about an insult. And so Jesus himself, when he was hit, doesn't just literally turn the other cheek in the sense of physically turning it and asking for more. He stands up to the guy and says, you should not have hit me. It was wrong for you to hit me. Acts 23, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago. I won't spend much time here, but Paul also gets struck and doesn't literally turn the other cheek in the sense of physically turning his other cheek and asking for more. Uh, 23 verse 1, he's also in front of the high priest and looking intently at the council. Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias committed those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now what does Paul do? Please hit me again. No. He rebukes him. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? Great insult, right? You can all go home now and take that, right? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck. Now we looked a few weeks ago. Paul actually after this apologizes because he doesn't realize that he's speaking to the high priest. So he apologizes that he wasn't respectful enough to the high priest. He doesn't apologize for not turning the other cheek. 
The issue wasn't that he gave a rebuke and stood up and said, this is wrong. The issue is he didn't realize that he was being the high priest and he should have been a little more respectful than he was. But there's no issue here. Jesus is not lying down a physical rule that anytime someone physically attacks you, you, you don't resist. He's talking about insult. He's saying when someone slaps you with evil, you never respond back with evil. Never do you give back an insult, even when you've been insulted. Never do you give back with vindictiveness. Never do you give back hurt for hurt, wrong for wrong. But this doesn't mean you can't stand up and be strong. Jesus is not teaching weakness here. He's teaching a different kind of strength. He's teaching us that when we stand up, sometimes the best thing you can do is set a boundary and it could be an abusive boss, an abusive spouse, whatever it is, I set a boundary and I say, I will not put up with this anymore. But when you stand up for yourself, you don't stand up with, I'm yelling back at you, I'm swearing back at you, I'm trying to hurt you. You stand up with a strength that is from God, which is a strength that is clothed with gentleness and godliness, and it's honorable, and it's righteous in speech. You can be strong, but it's that kind of strength rather than the kind of strength that is yelling back and fighting back and vindictive back and slinging mud back. Does that make sense? Standing up for right, but standing up for right with gentleness and goodness. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Okay, so that's a big word. Never is a big word. It means never, right? It's never okay for a follower of Christ to try to get even, but leave it to the wrath of God. You leave it to God. It's his job, but leave it to the wrath of God. See, we're wired for fairness. Someone spreads gossip about me on the internet or, or, you know, does something unjust to me at work or takes advantage of me. And we're wired for justice because God is just. It's part of our DNA. So it bothers us. That person's, if I don't yell back, if I don't swear, if I don't give back what I got, they're getting away with it. And God says, no, no, nobody gets away with it. But in the kingdom, you give up your right to get even and you leave justice in the hands of God because justice is his job. When you take justice in your hands, you sin because you and I, don't, we don't understand everybody's motives. Our own motives are impure. So when we respond with anger, we sin in that anger. But when God makes things right, he makes things right because he's holy. And it's fair and it's just. It's his job. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So verse 20. So our job is not to get justice or to respond back fire for fire. Our job is, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Some of us need to take that verse with us this week because we're right in the midst of someone doing evil to us. And we need to remember, this is not being a doormat and staying in an abusive situation. Jesus himself left abusive situations. Remember they were going to throw him off the cliff in that one place and he just hit the pause button and walked right out the middle of them, right? I would love to have seen that. What did that look like? He just walked out the middle and they all, oh, there he goes. And he left an abusive situation. He refused to go to Jerusalem a number of times because they were trying to kill him. Turning the other cheek does not mean stay in an abusive situation. does not mean you can't defend yourself or your family in an extreme situation. What it means is you do good. Even when you stand up for yourself, you do it in a good way, not insulting, not vindictive, not bitter. We overcome evil with good. And of course, this doesn't just apply to insults and abuse and hurts and stuff like that. If we go back to the Sermon on the Mount now, let's look at the next couple of verses, verses 40 and 41. And Jesus carries on here and he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Whoa! Crazy! I mean, we're all going to be in a poorhouse. I mean, if the non-Christians ever hear us speaking about this verse, they'll just have to throw any lawsuit at us and we've got to give them everything we own, Right? Verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I mean, this just sounds crazy. Okay, and again, I just love Jesus' preaching style. He stretches the rubber band as far as it goes. He's not laying down wooden rules here. If someone forces you to go one mile, make sure you measure out exactly two miles and go exactly to two. It's not supposed to be that. He's going for a hard thing. See, back in in Jesus' time, it, it started with the Persians. The Persians had this thing uh, that in order to communicate for the, for the Persian emperor to communicate, he had a huge em- empire, 
with different places in his, in his, in his uh, empire, he would, he had these, they had these messengers, these Persian messengers that were called Engari. And they, 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 uh, and they would be the ones that took messages from the king, messages from the king to various places of the empire and brought news back and all sorts of stuff. And that's how they kept communication with this whole huge Persian empire. Now how it worked was this. One of these Angari messengers would, would, would leave the capital, leave the king's palace, and he'd be going to some other place in Persia. He'd ride out on a horse, one of the king's horses. And he would ride that horse like crazy until it was tired. Then he would hop off his horse and he'd find the nearest guy that had another horse and he would say, you have to give me your horse. And the guy, by law, if an Angari messenger asked you for anything on pain of death, you had to give it to him. If he wanted your food, I'm hungry. If he wanted your horse and you owned a bunch of horses, you had to give him your best one. Right there, right then, you give him whatever he needs. And that's how these messengers would, were supplied going through the country. You, you could never say no. If they asked you for anything, if they told you to do anything, you had to give it to them so that they could continue on. Now, the Romans took that, that same law, and they applied it a little differently. They applied it to their soldiers. And what it was was, I mean, these soldiers were constantly traveling all over the empire. They had to carry very heavy uh, burdens with them as they traveled. You, often the, the, the Roman soldiers' pack was 75 to 100 pounds. It's like it's heavy. And so the Romans made this law, similar to what the Persians had had, they got the idea from them, was if a soldier asks you to carry his stuff, you can't say no, Okay? You have to say yes, you have to carry it for them, okay? Now, of course, that could have been horribly abused, so the Romans also made a law. No soldier can make you carry it for longer than a mile. It was essentially a mile, a thousand paces. And, uh, and so, now this was a horribly humiliating law because wherever the Romans had conquered people, like the Jews or other people, the Romans would be constantly, they would just pull a guy because you see, you'd see some soldiers coming down, they just grab you, you could be in the middle of anything, you could be with your family, carry my pack, for a thousand paces, and you'd have to carry it. So the Jews, it was a humiliating law for the subjugated people in the Roman Empire, and the Jews absolutely hated this law, okay? And so now, now think about it. So Jesus is speaking. This is the, the environment, the cultural environment he's speaking into, okay? These people are humiliated. And Jesus walks into this cultural environment, and he takes a sledgehammer to all of their paradigms of how do you respond to this? He doesn't tell them, think of the things he could have said, that we sometimes give each other advice like this, right? He doesn't tell them, pray to, the, to your Father in heaven to destroy these wicked Romans who are humiliating you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell them, pray to your Father in heaven to protect you, that the Romans will never see you and make you carry one of their packs. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't tell them, pray for the oppression to end. He doesn't tell them, not that it's bad and we can pray about oppression and stuff like that, but I just want you to see Jesus' heart. This is kingdom teaching here he's teaching. He doesn't tell them pray to get rid of the Romans or pray that the Romans don't abuse you. He tells them in essence, embrace the humiliation. If that Roman soldier tells you to carry his pack a mile, put a big smile on your face and happily serve him an extra one. If someone sues you for your tunic, that was your undergarment, give them your cloak as well and go naked. Again, not, the point here is not to set in a, a literal thing because all the Jesus followers would have been naked. Okay? He's going for a heart thing. He's going for a heart thing. See, there's, there's two ways you can respond to injustice and humiliation, right? There's two ways. So someone... Uh, sues you for your tunic and what most the human thing is this is an unjust lawsuit and you're wrong and I'm out money and I'm going to fight tooth and nail to keep my stuff I'm going to fight you tooth and nail I'm not you're not getting my tunic without a fight and Jesus says actually in my kingdom when when I'm in your heart when my spirit's in your heart and you have a you'll have a radically new paradigm about stuff and people and eternity and when you're in my kingdom, you will see stuff differently that if someone comes to take it from you, rather than hanging on to it for dear life and fighting tooth and nail to protect your assets and protect your wealth, that is, what is stuff in light of eternity? What is stuff? What's $1,000? What's $100,000? What's a million dollars in light of eternity? It's nothing. It's all going to burn. So why would you lose your soul over that stuff? 
Why would you lose your soul in bitterness and resentment? Why would you lose your soul in fighting people with vindictiveness? Fighting for the last cent, fighting to keep what you have. Why would you lose your soul over stuff that doesn't ultimately matter? It's a brand new paradigm. So you can, you can respond the natural human way, which is hang on for dear life and fight back against every humiliation, or in the kingdom, when Jesus is in your heart and the Holy Spirit is there and you have Jesus' perspective, suddenly you have a different perspective about all your stuff because all of a sudden you realize that everything in your life, it's an open hand. Everything I have in my life is from God. And it's for God. See, this is where we get messed up. We, we work so hard, and it's good to work hard. And it's totally fine to make money as long as it doesn't own us. It's not bad to make a million dollars. It's not bad to be rich. But are we thinking to ourselves, oh, look at me, look at, huh, I've got all this stuff, and we're hanging onto it like this, and eventually the stuff owns us rather than the other way around. But when you're in the kingdom, you have your hand like this, and it's like every single thing I have, I might have worked hard, but the fact that I was able to work hard is from God. And the abilities and opportunities I've had, it's all from God. Now, I've seen situations recently, you know, all that stuff you've, you've built, you worked so hard to make a secure life, all that stuff can be gone like this. God could give you, God could let you get some illness, he could let some accident happen, he could let something happen to the economy, he could let whatever happen, you could be, all that security you've built up over the last 40 years could be gone like this. And when you have a proper God perspective of eternity and God and who you are, your hands are open. It's all from God. And not only that, it's all for God. And now if, when my hands are like this, if somebody takes stuff from me by injustice, it's not that I necessarily like it. Obviously, I don't like being unjustly treated. But when my hand is open, my response to injustice is totally different. I can respond with the heart that is essentially, he's going to the heart here, he says, if they take your tunic, gladly give them your coat as well. You know what? You want to take it? I'm not going to lose my soul over that one. I can still love you and forgive you because I'm not like this with my stuff. Jesus says, whoever wants to keep his life in this lifetime will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake gets to keep it. It's a radically different perspective. Jesus says, you say, yeah, but how can I not be bitter because so-and-so hasn't paid me. I'm out $100,000. I'm out a quarter of a million dollars. I'm out $10,000, whatever the number is for you. I, how, how can I not be bitter, Chris, because how am I going to pay the bills? And we forget that Jesus says in Matthew 6, God clothes the lily of the valleys. He feeds the sparrows in winter. Will he not much more take care of you? if you're serving him, and if your hand is open like this with all of your stuff. So in Jesus' kingdom, it doesn't matter how much stuff they've taken from you. You have a perspective that God has taken care of me. It's all from God anyway. In the scope of eternity, it's all going to burn anyway. So why am I going to get bitter and poison myself and lose my soul over some unjust treatment and not get into money or an unjust lawsuit or whatever? Now again, okay, what Jesus is not doing here is he's not forbidding Christians from, for, from ever standing up for themselves in court. I mean, in the Old Testament, God set up court systems and judges because they can be very helpful in sorting through complicated issues and making sure there's fairness and making sure that evil people don't run the entire nation and run the thing into a ground a legal system can be very helpful. Judges can be very helpful. Jesus is not forbidding Christians from ever standing up for themselves in court. But here's the thing. Get the heart. Get the heart. If there does come, and I talked to someone just after the service before who actually had a legitimate reason and it totally what God was doing. But if you do end up in court and you have to stand up for right, you remember how you're standing up for right. You're standing up for right with your hands open. You're not fighting tooth and nail. Oh, every last penny. It's not your stuff. It's all from God to begin with. You're not in court because you're vindictive. You're not in court because you're terrified. You don't know how. You know, you're there 
purely because you prayed about it and you have peace and God wants you to stand up for some greater good, but you're standing there in strength, in gentleness, in forgiveness, in love, in godliness, and in honor. You're not there fighting like an animal for every last cent of stuff that doesn't belong to you and it's all going to burn anyway. It's your hand open with the stuff God has given you. And the same principle holds true for the last verse in this passage as well. Jesus says in verse 42, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If we had more time, I would take you through the, through the Proverbs, and I would show you a whole bunch of verses that seem to teach the exact opposite of this, where the, where the Bible says, Be careful who you give money to, or you'll end up in a poor house. Don't be foolish with your money. I remember uh, when, when I was living on the West Coast, going to university there at Trinity. Uh, I was there for two years. Uh, one of the winters I was there, we did uh, street, I, went, I got involved with the street ministry in downtown Vancouver, and we would go every Friday night, and we would minister in the downtown area. We'd tell people about Jesus, and we'd give them food, and all this sort of stuff. Now, one of the first things we learned when you're going up there, a lot of these people had AIDS, lots of drug stuff. One of the first things I learned is you don't give these people cash. Like, if they ask you for money, it's actually not loving. It's not loving to give them cash because what they're going to spend it on is stuff that's killing them. So we'll gladly give you food. We'll gladly give you love. We'll gladly give you physical touch. We'll give you Jesus. But we will not give you cash because you will hurt yourself with cash. It actually would not be loving to give some people cash. Some of you, different scenario. You're 20, whatever-year-old grown child is still at home, and you're still shoveling them handouts whenever they need it. That is not loving. How are they ever going to learn to fly? Now, I'm not saying you can never give them money, okay? Okay, sometimes, it, you know, whatever. I'm not saying never, but you're just shelling out money whenever they need it. How will they ever grow up? Are you loving them? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Anybody, 100% of the time, no matter how bad it is for them, who asks you for money, you give them the money. No, he's going at a heart thing again here. He's going at a hard thing again here, just like with the tunic. He said, if someone sues you for your tunic, rather than fighting tooth and nail for this tunic and it's going to burn anyway, have the attitude of, you want my tunic? Have it all. If Jesus wants you to have it, you can have it all. And it's the same thing with this. See, most of us, we just have this strong predisposition to view all of our money and our stuff as ours. So it doesn't even cross our mind to ever borrow to someone across our mind to ever look how can I help that person how can I help more how can I give more because we just have this natural predisposition that my stuff is mine I worked for it didn't I everything every good and perfect gift is from the father above and so Jesus says to us here he just takes a sledgehammer to all of our paradigms about what's ours and what's important and Jesus says your stuff is not yours. Your stuff is from me and it is supposed to be used by you for me. Help others build my kingdom. We should gladly, as Christians, we should not be looking for excuses not to give. We should be looking, when you have Jesus in your heart and you're actually walking with him, you are looking for every excuse to give. So many people today, and some of you are sitting there going, wow, this is a harsh teaching. This is not harsh. This is life. How's that working for you, holding on to your stuff? You're very happy in your life, are you? Full of joy? Your kids are full of joy? Your marriage is full of joy? Hanging on to your stuff? You want to experience life? You think holding on to your stuff and accumulating, 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 you think that brings life? It doesn't bring life. You want life? Put your hand like this to Jesus and say, it's all from you, it's all for you, and now, and now you begin to pray a prayer. You want a prayer that when Jesus is in your heart and you're walking with the Holy Spirit, you want a prayer that is exciting and fun to pray? See, I, I, people, I, people struggle to hear God, always struggling to hear God. How do I hear God? How do I hear God? In many cases, we're just asking the wrong questions. Do I get this boat or this boat? I don't hear him. 
You want to hear Jesus? You want to experience Jesus? How can I give more away? How can I, who can I love more? Jesus, I would actually like to sacrifice a bit this month, and I would like to love somebody and help someone. Could you speak to me about that? Oh, listening prayer is working suddenly. Because it's all his and it's all, it's not yours. Your stuff and your money ultimately isn't yours. Now, a lot of people, they have fear. You, you think, well, we should all be living in a cardboard box. Jesus doesn't want you living in a cardboard box because then you have to come to the church to get handouts and we've got ministry to do. And people have this idea, like if I tell Jesus, oh, I want to give more and he's going to just, and you're going to be living in a, in, in a poor house. He doesn't want that from you. He's actually a good father. It's actually life to ask him that. Well, I'm not putting up some system here of you can never have pleasure. This is not about legalism. This is about a heart for Jesus that it's all from him and for him and actually he loves you too. And you can begin to experience him in amazing ways. When you open your hand like this and say, Jesus, I want to help more people. I want to borrow to some people. I want to help someone out. I want to build your kingdom. And suddenly, whoa, I've got joy. I'll never forget earlier, and, and this is not a, you know, I, I've missed it in so many areas so many times. I don't share this story. This is not about being, building myself up. I am so struggling in so many ways, and I need Jesus. This is not a story about me being a hero, but let me tell you a story about Jesus being a hero, and I've shared it before, but it just comes to my mind, and there's others too. You want to really experience Jesus? I remember uh, early in our marriage, and we had saved up an amount of money for, uh, to, to buy a house. We finally had enough for a down payment. And then we started our first building campaign here with the church. And, uh, and I remember going to prayer to God. I didn't do listening prayer. Jesus, do you want me to give it all up? You know what I said to him? I just was desperate to experience him. I said, Jesus, I want to give it to you. I can't think of a better adventure than to take this stuff that we, that we, that we saved up and give it all to you and see what you're going to do in our lives. I just love you and I would love to give you some kind of act of worship. Now I'll tell you, you start to pray a prayer like that, whoa, Jesus is there. And my wife was on board, and we just had this wild ride of an adventure, which ended up with then Jesus providing us with a house, which it couldn't have been a miracle. You know, so many people, you want to experience God to be your provider. You can't have him be your provider unless you ever, don't ever need, like unless you need him at some point. You can't experience God to do miracles in your life if you never get in a situation where you need a miracle. You want to experience Jesus working in your life? Give him all your stuff and say, Jesus, I want to have an adventure with you because I love you and I want to know you more. And holding on to my stuff has just deadened my senses. I can't even feel love for people or for you anymore. And so you just give it to him. And suddenly injustices happen and you don't like them, but you're not mad about them. You're not fighting tooth and nail for every dollar. And you just go, well, Lord, that's too bad that they're living in evil like that. But, ah, and you pray about it. And you're not a doormat, but you're just love. You've got love and goodness. And then when it comes to borrowing and helping people in the kingdom, you're constantly praying for an adventure. Jesus, I want to give more. I want to love more. I want to experience you more because it's all your stuff. I just want to funnel it into your purposes for eternity. All right. Let's pray about this. I want you to just bow your heads now. This is not a harsh message. This is, for some, maybe a scary message. But actually, it's just life. When you give yourself to Jesus, you will find him to be the good shepherd. He will take care of you. He does not want to just put you straight in the poor house. He wants you to know joy, the joy of being taken care of by him. He wants you to know the joy of not having to feel bitterness and resentment about every cent. He wants you to know the joy of loving your enemy. He wants you to know the joy of forgiveness. Because he loves you and he loves other people too. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us now. Every one of us, we've looked at this passage from you. And Jesus, some of us here, we've been insulted and we've been humiliated recently. And now it's time for us to turn the other cheek. It's time for us this week to not respond back evil for evil. 
And some of us are here today, Jesus, and we are out thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars, various numbers, because untrustworthy people have taken advantage of us, have refused to pay us. And Lord Jesus, we just throw ourselves at your mercy again. (laughs) You feed the sparrows, we need you to feed us. And Lord Jesus, a whole host of us here today, Jesus, have this disease. It's not the disease of stuff, it's the disease of hanging on to our stuff. And Lord Jesus, we can never know life. We will never know what it means to have a glad heart as long as we're hanging on to it. We're so afraid to let go of it, but it's only in the letting go of it to you that we can experience true gladness of heart. So what is the one thing you want to speak to each of us here today? To turn the other cheek? Do we need to give, Lord Jesus, to someone? Is there a kingdom thing you're trying to do that you want us to give to Jesus I just pray right now each one of us here you have one thing out of this message you're speaking to us pray that you put that thought in our hearts right now just write down whatever he shows you there is life in obeying Jesus Now, Lord, I want to just, I've had so much fun with you praying this prayer at various times in my life, and we want to pray it together as a family this morning. Jesus, would you let us give more? Would you show us this week, we want to have an adventure with you. Show us someone this week we can help. Show us somewhere we can go out on a ledge. Somewhere more, Jesus, where we can give, where we can open up our hands, Jesus. We can enter into your purposes and we can serve you and we can live out the kingdom. And just pray for each of us this week, Jesus, that we can have an adventure in our families, in our marriages, in our lives. This week you would show us someone, something, a kingdom purpose where we can give, we can go over and above and we can give back to you out of what you've given to us. In your name we pray, amen.